Welcome to the Making a Runner podcast. I'm your host, Nick, a running specialist by kineticist and coach. And I'm a co-host, Davey, aka Davey on the Run. Through our shared knowledge and experience, we unpack the fascinating topic of running. We speak to coaches, athletes, subject matter experts, and everyday enthusiasts to help you improve your running. And ensure that you enjoy every step of the way, wherever the road or trail may take you. This is how runners are made. It's how runners are made, baby. Oh yeah. So barriers to compliance, first of all, if you just take human nature, there is a continuum that exists where they say we have resistance to change and all of us sit on the same continuum. So we will contemplate that one stretch we're supposed to do or that one bad habit we're supposed to kick. We will sit and contemplate a phase for up to 70% of our time. There is a tiny window where readiness for change hits and that's where they're ripe for the picking. If you pitch that intervention in that time frame, you will get a compliant patient who implements what you've told them to do. Funny enough, we lapse from that, we go straight back into contemplative. So compliance is a human failing. Generally, people are non-compliant. Only when they start to see the, the value in when I do that, I notice that that's the result. Only then are we convinced. It's a bit like seeing is believing. Hey Nick, did you know that it's a cool idea to eat a nutritious diet packed with loads of fiber? Oh yeah? Yeah, you should Google it using Cool Ideas Fiber Internet Solutions. I hear they've been voted number one internet service provider for customer service. Yeah, and you'll get hold of them faster than the fiber can work through your system. Nicola! Davide! Happy New Year! Happy New Year to you and all of our Making a Runner listeners. Guys, we really appreciate every single one of you that have been following our journey. We can't wait to bring you really, really exciting interviews with really exciting people. In 2023, it's going to be fantastic. So we're going to start that off pretty much today with with a fantastic individual. Her name is Julie Rawdon. She is a physiotherapist. She is also a biokineticist, human movement specialist. She really is extremely knowledgeable about the human body. And she is a runner. She's a very good runner. She's done a couple of ultra marathons. She's recently run an international marathon at Berlin. And we we chat about everything that it takes to manage an injury as a runner. She has some really nice tips for your beginner runner. She has some really great tips for your experienced runner. I really benefited off of a few things, even though (laughs) I think physios and bios are all part of a huge cult. And I think they should... uh, they should all be okay, done. Maybe I'm going to cut you off here. <laughs> but, Just joking. I love them all. <laughs> but I think it is an extremely insightful conversation. Something that I think as as a runner, you can learn a lot from. And I think Davey le- learned a lot from it today as well. I'm he doesn't want to admit lie. it. No, I, I actually did. I, I'm, I, I'm a bit inspired. I'm, I'm a bit inspired. Yeah, to, inspired for his 2023 goals. Yeah, 2023 goals. New year, new me. Here it is, guys. Julie Rawdon. Enjoy. Julie, thank you so much for being here today. I want to just start out with getting a little bit about your background. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. So, Nick, Davey, thank you for having me here today. Um, I think if I start back to where it all began, um, I, like you, had a biokinetics um, background at the beginning. I left matric and went to university at Stellenbosch and did my HMS there, but only because I didn't get the marks that I wanted to be able to go into physio. So um, I reapplied, having done my BSc, and at that time it had to be, you had to do your physics and chem, and um, you carried those subjects if you were going to apply to do anything else after. So I got credits for the BSc, and 
um, having graduated in 96, reapplied for physio and then went to WITS. So I did my four years and then went on to do what we call a, an OMT, which is like a master's, um, it's not a master's degree, it's like a diploma, and that's in orthopedic management. So I think I took a very long road to get to the point of where I would be in a therapy role. As a kid, I ran from very tiny, and I was always in a physio's office. So there was no doubt in my mind from age eight that this is what I wanted to do. So it was just a question of having to go the long way around. So, so you always wanted to be a physio? I can remember uh, her name. I remember the look of her room. Her name was Karina Stain. Um, and at the time, I think I had a groin injury. And Karina looked after me whether I had a twisted ankle from a nipple match or... And I remember thinking she was a really nice lady. And I remember being able to lie on her table and have a treatment and I could smell her roast chicken cooking <laughs> downstairs. And I thought, <laughs> I think this will suit my mind. <laughs> so Karina was a, a very sort of iconic, in my sort of childhood memory, um, a lady who I thought, I think I want to do this kind of work. So it was in keeping with what my activities and I was, yeah, as I say, always in a physio um, with an injury of sorts, but from very little. So there was just in my mind one track, get to physio. So it took me a bit longer. Yeah, I mean, for those not that don't know, HMS is Human Movement Sciences. Yeah, at Selenbosch at the time, I think they call it sports science yes. now. Yeah. Menschliche was what we called it. Yeah. Um, there was the two routes, those that did with physiology and then those that did with um, BSc. So if you did physics and chem, you could do the bio route and then get to that sort of post-grad fourth year. Uh, and, yeah, so it was just, I think, a privilege at that point to study at Stellenbosch. It was a beautiful campus. It was, I mean, imagine going to a tennis tut at one o'clock, you know. Yeah, not, not bad. <laughs> I was at Steady's, but um, I did uh, a private <laughs> institute at Steady's because I wanted the, um, the Stellenbosch experience. So <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> Um, I was running at the time for the varsity, so um, and um, Boerland runners run, oh, they, they're a scary bunch, but comparing um, the, it's just the whole sporting, from their rugby to their athletics, they, they live and breathe their sport, you know what that whole MBK centre's like. Yeah. Um, so it was, um, a, it, was a, it was a good, if, if that was where your interests lay, then that was the, the right place to grow it. And I mean, what, what distances were you running at the time? 400 meters. Okay. So, so I was always a track athlete. I always did uh, my, my, I never did the 800 or the 1500. I would do one, two, and four. And then I got to varsity and I picked up hurdles. So I used to do 400 meter hurdles. And I think I was just very scared of my Afrikaans coach. And being an Engelsen Macy, I <laughs> just used to run hard so he didn't shout. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds, sounds like what I do with Nick. <laughs> uh, except it's not the coach that's telling him to run hard. It's just uh, Davey. <laughs> the voice in my head. <laughs> His own mental coach. Um, primary school was also a track. We, we used to, I, I ran for Wanderers. So I trained with an old man called Mr. Green. And we used to go through, so we ran provincially. We went to um, SA Champs about three years in a row. And it was always for the 400 meter race. And that's a... It's a dog race to run. I yeah, mean, you, it's hell of a tough. It's the one you puke after. Yeah, we we had a four hundred meter sprint specialist on on the show a while back, and um, it was it was quite interesting to hear his side of yeah, the story. Yeah, we, we couldn't comprehend it because you know it's running, it's still running, like ultra marathon running, marathon running, five k running, still running, but, but 
track running and especially that 400 meter discipline is is something special because it's just that crossover effect and it's 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 and a race it's a proper race and i think now the times make it look like a sprint i mean I think yeah i'm going back many years now but it was um it was also probably the most gratifying distance to do so i think you you were sort of somewhere in between you had to do distance which i quite liked and mm. then um, so I left Varsin when I went to Wits and st- started with physio. There wasn't really that sort of track option. And then, um, and this is what I actually wanted to touch on later, never will, be, if running is the common thread through one's growing up years and then hopefully into your uh, perhaps new career stage of life and then into your working years, perhaps even then as you go into parenting. And uh, if it's going to be that thing you always do, you're going to have that that running experience wax and wane you're going to have times when it's foremost and and Mm. up close and 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 you're getting a lot of time and it dominates and there are going to be times when that running has to kind of drop back a bit so I I don't remember ever not running but I know there were patches if I think of raising children Mm. when you know you're not running when you're eight months pregnant so it's been a common thread right through my life, but I've definitely had winters and summers, and there's times when it has been a small part of my life, but it, it's it's always been there. Yeah, I think it's important to to have that respect for it, though, because you know there's a lot of people that try and juggle too many things all at once, and that's where you know that's where the problems start to come about. Because I mean, like you're saying, you know, having children, following a full time full-time career trying to trying to have your summer with running all the time mm. that adds a lot of stress to to your body and to your life in general and, and I mean we know that the effects that stresses have on our body and especially speaking injury status which is something that I do want to get onto as a topic of conversation later on but I mean how did how did you find your way to essentially to the point where you then went on to running marathons and ultras thereafter so having finished up with Varsity and starting a uh, career, I realized that social running was going to be the only way to fit in time on the road. And then it, from a 5 to a 10 to a 21. And then even into sort of early years of, of being newly qualified, um, I worked uh, abroad. So I went to uh, Aspen and set oh, up wow. a clinic there. And then it was a case of running in the snow. So it was just having to adapt uh, how, how we were going to run and, and what was our context. Uh, in fact, when we had that talk at the club, and I said context is everything. You know, you have to be, if you're a, a shift worker, if you're a, a mom, or if you sit and program all day, you're going to have to apply your running to the context. We, we, in, our, in our lives, we will go through different stages where it just has to fit the time, fit the, the constraints. So slowly just picked up, I suppose, distance because it was a weekend thing that I could do. And uh, we yeah, you do weekend long runs. Yeah, and then found if you took any human being and you, you, you took them at 20 and you compared their body composition at 30 and then again at 40 and 50, we see how we change. So if our bodies are morphing between different shapes and how we are composed, then surely our activity levels are also going to change according to that. So I definitely wasn't after having two children built for 400 meter hurdles. <laughs> But I was probably okay for a 10 and then a 21. So got into to social road running and uh, just enjoyed the, the, the human element. And again, I think true to what I did when it was competitive and it was provincial and it was probably more serious, there was always someone to guide you. There was always a, a sort of a coach. And once you start to do it more socially, 
that element of having a, a, a person to uh, steer you is as important, even if you're not you know, getting someone to write down your times mm. or uh, you're not competing in a weekend you know, uh, well, it can even be just be a running buddy keeping you accountable to. Yeah, to the, so so I think finding and in fact moving to Belito, having sold a practice and come back from being overseas, trying to just meet people. First thing you need to do is join the running club and you know find a church. So it was um, through by default actually. Um, I knew no one here. I had landed this job at the well, and I was a very new physio and sort of hankering after what I knew in the way of my, my work experience in, in, in the States and, and Joburg and how was I going to find patients and friends? Well, the running club. And that was the best place to start. So, And then because they were all training for comrades, I arrived in the October. I just started to run the long runs on a Sunday. And that was in 2006. And then by 2007, we were training for comrades. So my first comrades was just by chance. And then... <laughs> Yeah, we ran with uh, the Dolphins. That was it was a very small club at that point, and then came off that bus because kids and career and everything else dominated. But just kept it constant, you know, weekend so, whenever you could. So that comrades that you did when two thousand and six, two thousand seven, two thousand two thousand seven. What? What uh, was that? An up or a down run? And how was that experience? So it was an up run. Comrades. So it was an up run. We we trained uh, with pretty small group I, I cried a lot on that run Nick <laughs> I laughed and cried had it not been for a lovely girl Candace, who ran with us she got Aubrey and I over that line she was a third time finisher and she just coached us this is when you eat this is when you dig deep this is when you shut up and you did concentrate you train with her we did I trained with Candace and Aubrey yeah. so we did a we did a 952 and I think when you're a novice you don't know what you're doing you're, yeah, just, you're just running you're just running and crying quite a lot yeah <laughs> How many times did you cry, Davey? Mm, I wanted, I'm going to be honest, I didn't. Didn't I cry. Didn't cry. Yeah. Oof, I didn't wanted to cry. I was on the brink of crying. But I think the frustration and anger, was, I had so many emotions. So it was, it was tough just to focus on one of them. But I wanted to cry. Did you cry at the finish? I didn't cry at the finish. Did just eh? didn't cry. Hey? No. I cry did, very did easily. You, did you but cry like, on your wedding day? <laughs> so... <laughs> I cry very easily, but two times that I know I haven't cried is comrades and my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was too happy to cry yeah. at my wedding. Um, once again, I was on the brink, but yeah, I didn't manage to shed a tear. It's fair enough, I guess. It, it's such a happy moment that comrades, uh, that comrades race, that comrades finish line. Cry when um, I'm sad. It's a hum <laughs> it's a humbling it's a humbling cry. I so think did you only do one? No, so then I waited a long time because it was career and kids, and then I did another one in 2019, and that was an up. Oh, so you haven't run it down. So I haven't run it down. And <laughs> and then I realized that because I, I, I see what joints that have been on the road for many years look like, so I decided to preserve my joints, and I thought perhaps I'll steer away from ultras and I'll just do speedy marathons. <laughs> what, what you did recently, you did yes. a pretty speedy marathon. You went to, all the way to Berlin. And that was that was a real that was a chance run. We had an opportunity to get a charity entry, and we were there to see family. And uh, so, being very cold and very scared because forty five thousand people was just overwhelming. Um, 
they're, How's that they're different. Forty-five thousand. Yeah, it's huge. Was that your first international marathon? That's my first international marathon. That's like I mean, Conrad's has only got like fifteen. That was fourteen, fifteen. This fifteen thousand previous. Yeah. Twenty nineteen, there was over twenty-five. I think Millennium had a huge number because everyone wanted to run Conrad's for that millennial year. I think thirty's been their top field of runners. Sure. So forty-five thousand looks looks insane. And I think freezing cold, eight degrees, uh, and that that was probably the most profound, and not not because of just being international. I just think the the scale of the event the was, overall experience yeah, of was it just was something magic. exceptional. Yeah. And I mean, not to mention it is known as probably the fastest marathon. I mean, the world record is set there. There was a couple of guys that ran uh, Valencia Marathon recently, and they almost broke that world record actually. So the next day, Nike had big posters of old EK, the yeah. human race just got faster. Yeah, that's and amazing. And so I think being part of something where there had been a record broken and it was the first big international of those Abbott runs, quickly after that there was London and Chicago, yeah. but you could see the guys who were just starting to tick their list and I think it was the first comeback since COVID. So these hungry international elite athletes were, were all there. So wow. you just had a sense of it having you know gathered the, the, the creme de la creme yeah. and it was uh, and I think in an overseas setting they have just a capacity to host a race at a different level mm. it's slick it, 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 it's wonderful but I mean I it was an exceptional watch even from here I mean they went through that half it in sub sub two hour pace so there, there's no doubt in my mind that Kipchoge, I mean, he, as an experience of a marathon runner, he knows what pace he needs to do to, to, to achieve a certain goal. There's no doubt in my mind that they were trying to go for a sub-two-hour marathon on the day. Because in the lab, he's done sub-two. Yes. So if you recreate that bio lab and you give him the right bottle feed him what he needs, what he didn't take in the, f the next, in the previous yeah. bottle. If you think of how he could, if, if we were machines and our mm. output could be as, you know, <laughs> predictable or accurate. Uh, but that was also, and I think the most, someone said what would be the most significant thing you remember from Berlin. It was meeting a girl from Munich. She tapped me on my shoulder and said, hey, South Africa, what time are you running? So in my broken German and her really awful English, hello, hello, <laughs> and off we went. And I realized she was much quicker than me and she was aiming for a 3.30. So I think because fear and cold and just let me stay with this girl from Munich meant we did a crazy first split. <laughs> and then I said to her, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pace and drop back a bit because I want you to get what you want, but yeah. I can't keep your pace. And... She then struggled with a, a calf at some point, and it was only towards the end that I realized, okay, well, we'll go somewhere in between what I was aiming for and what she was aiming for. So what and were you aiming for? I wanted to do under 350. Sure, so you had a brilliant run. So I was just hoping to do something under 350, and it was, yeah. So you did a 341? 342. 342. So the, the, the good part about that story is I've had a message from Mel just about every week since Berlin. So you get a you get a PB mm. and you make a, a really good make friend. A friend. <laughs> get, get a PB and get a friend. <laughs> Why not join running? Why not join running? <laughs> and you this lose a toenail, and, and that's all for. Or you, <laughs> you lose all of them if you were there. Yeah. But I wanna I wanna touch on that point that you say. You think like as human beings, if we were built as machines, I think there's a lot of runners that believe we are just machines and can just keep on going because nothing is going to break. But 
I want to I want to chat about a little bit of uh, sports injuries, especially in terms with your background of both physio and exercise sciences, and you know, human movement specialist. Really, how far detached from our body are human beings in general and runners, like mentally detached from injury uh, status? Nick, Davey, I think that's probably our biggest challenge. So you might take an athlete through a program just trying to train a particular muscle, just activate a muscle, and you realize how very disconnected we are from our body. So if I just use a safe we, we tend to not pick up those subtle cues that our bodies give us. And as a newbie runner, or even as perhaps worse still, as a very seasoned Mm. runner, you either turn down the volume of that body cue or you've just never heard it and you don't respond. And therein lies the problem is that you, you don't know what you're listening for and you don't know what to do when you hear that prompt. When, when do I panic? When do I not? So as a newbie, it's really important for that person to understand that they're never going to run the same kind of 10K consecutive Sundays all through that month. Equally, much like we've said it's a season thing through your life, you, you, you're just not capable of the same uh, run each time you go out mm. and it's learning when to say I need to change intensity, drop frequency, unload, stop altogether. When yeah. do I medicate? And those are a lot of, that's a lot to, to, to understand and to know when you're just still grappling with h- how it feels to, to, to get breathing steady for 10 Ks. And so I think if, if there is at the outset uh, a communication to that athlete or to that newbie that their body is unique to, to them, so their cues, it's not, it, there isn't a helpful comparison in it. So you have to, they have to get to know themselves. So it's like spending time in your own body. And, and you only learn from, from mistakes made. At the end of the day, especially as a, as a newbie runner or someone that doesn't have the access to a professional or perhaps someone that doesn't have access to even an, a, a seasoned runner to run with, someone that's just running out in, no, in the middle of nowhere and they start to pick up niggles and they think, oh, well, that's probably something that I can run through. But it's, it's only once you pick up enough bad injuries that you that you sit on the sideline that you as an individual runner start to respect the body a little bit more I feel you you can always try and take the advice from people but until that individual goes through the cycle of pain and injury and recovery and realize how much it takes out of you that you then realize okay well perhaps I should have taken that run off because missing a run essentially doesn't affect the training cycle or the training schedule at all but missing a couple of weeks because now you've you've picked up this niggle that could have been managed but you didn't manage it you've now let it go too long and now you're sitting biting your nails thinking am I actually going to achieve my my goal race and and you know that's that's a horrifying moment for a runner it's a horrifying realization I think I think trying to teach a runner a newbie and and maybe trying to even convert some of these old hard road hard you know sort of diehards is trying to get them to understand that pain is a very normal response martin touched on that in his talk so we we are served by pain because it's a very helpful alarm system so particularly if it's just nociceptive pain it cues us it's up it's the body's way of saying something's up so when we when we disregard that cue the body shouts a bit louder so By the time that that injury is now well established and you've not attended to that, 
now now you've moved out of that acute phase, protective pain, and probably something's a bit more established. And that's usually the time that the runner's gone, I think I'm going to go and see someone. Mm. So they've either asked a friend or they've tried their own bit of strapping. They've probably swallowed a few Mipradol. So it's really not that initial shot that we see. We see them when that pain has been probably hanging around a little while and it's it's past that acute phase and now in subacute it's hopefully not chronic but certainly there's been compensation down that kinetic chain mm. so now you're not just fixing something which was new and the tricky thing is that there can be something because of an uh, instantaneous stumble there can be that brief mechanism of injury and and that's an obvious one we don't see many of those we see the chronic repetitive load where that RSI suddenly presents and you've got to unpack where was the first fault. Mm. So in that case, I mean, what would be your advice to to a runner? I mean, what does that process look, look like? Okay, so they've had this niggle, they've picked up this niggle, it's built up to a point where now they can't run because they're in pain. What is what is the next step for a runner? So I think that that first signal of pain, and, and we do this with patients with chronic pain, we encourage a, a pain diary. One doesn't want to encourage vigilance around the pain, you know. I need a pain diary. <laughs> but a pain diary or, or just my, my, body's, my, my, my body's diary. What did my body tell me? I woke and I was particularly tired that morning. I, didn't, I had a hard day the previous day. You know, you, if Ant you, was telling us about that. Yeah. A diary is a very nice way to get retrospective insight to gee I, I don't know why I've picked this up but if I go back in my in my journal I can see that I've had bigger deadlines I've had more stress I've, I've perhaps not eaten as well um, I didn't sleep as well all these other they seem unrelated but our sleep mm. our eating our work our stress those things unfortunately because our little bodies are you know they they very finicky finicky <laughs> if we don't think that those things factor into what our performance or our output is going to be then we've underestimated what this little vehicle needs mm. to run and our chassis and our cardiorespiratory drive are very different so that chassis being road hard will take months and months and months of conditioning but they feel fine in terms of their puff so yeah. they, they're good to go their engine still carries them but i'm fit yeah. yes but your chassis is not robust just yet so that musculoskeletal hardiness where there's a resilience to that RSI setting in, unfortunately for the newbie, is months away. So maybe the, the important thing to, for that new athlete is to understand what's hurt and what's harm. So every niggle that you feel on a run is not necessarily something that needs the attention of a specialist, but something that doesn't go away because you've looked from Monday through to Friday, that little thing, you've seemed to mention it on all your diary entries. That's something to now go, I think that needs help. And as I said, I think when we had that chat at the club, what's extrinsic? Did I run on a funny camber? Are oh, my shoes shot? Did I run in the rain? Was it a, a slippery, you know, did I, did I move too much in my shoe? Was it more hill work than I was used to? Or intrinsically, have I not been stretching? Is it something within my makeup? So I, I think there's a there's an important thing about what's what's me and what's my and and what are, what are the ex extrinsics? Have I suddenly seen an increment in training? Training. Load. So yes, we've actually suddenly picked up speed as we've approached the the, the goal race. Look, we're doing a bit more. Whatever the, the tempo runs seem to have been harder for me. Mm. And do you have a timeline on like say say, um, say someone picks up a niggle? 
Um, what would your recommended timeline be between like identifying a niggle and then obviously going, okay, it's not going away. Now I need to get it looked at. So, so I would say you must have felt that niggle on three consecutive runs. And it, you need to know that niggle comes on during the event or it's a latent pain. So it comes on after the event. So three times and then go see someone. Well, then you investigate. Then you start to ask questions because even when I did my stretch and I was pretty consistent about my, my route and I, there was nothing untoward about the, the actual uh, training load that week. And I still felt that you've almost tracked it. And in three separate runs or in three different occasions, you've been aware that that thing seems to be there. That's enough to go, there's a pattern there. So it's identifying the pattern. Mm. And I think also the, the more information you can gather over those three attempts or whatever it is, the more information you can gather through it, the better, the easier it is for someone like Judy to to make the call on what the next best step forward is. Yeah. If you are very hypersensitive to any little niggle that you that you go through and you you're now suffering with something with now that problem isn't actually even there anymore. It's it's it was just there on one run because you perhaps wore a different shoe or perhaps you ran on a camber more than you thought of. Um, that makes it pretty difficult from a from a therapy perspective as well. Whereas if you know this is the problem that I've had, this is when it comes on, this is when it feels better, this is what I do that makes it feel better. Like it just it's all little pieces of the puzzle that make it easier for a therapist to make an accurate diagnosis and give you an actor, accurate prognosis on how long you can expect to, to get back to your previous state. And aren't those the questions we ask our, our patients? How long have you had this? When do you notice it to be at its worst? What makes it easier? And unfortunately, if they're not listening to those cues and they're not penning down, they actually don't know those things. So it's mm. unpacking the injury for themselves a bit. I notice it's worse in the morning, and then yeah. I, it seems to warm up. I mean, how often are you in a conversation with a new patient and things that aren't even at the top of their head when they're sitting there. Now you having to prowl them out of, out of that conversation. They're like, Oh, actually, how could I forgot about this? It hurts me every time I get up in the morning, but that's not something that sticks with them. Every time they wake up in the morning, you had to like get them to that point. So I think as, as you saying, Julie, I think just being super vigilant about your body and figuring out, well, that's an odd response. That's not a normal response that mm. I've been getting in my training for the last three months. Now, all of a sudden I'm getting this thing three days in a row that, that makes complete sense, you know? So to, to your question, Debbie, you said, would you jump at something after three? I'm starting to ask myself questions. Is this thing persistent after three repeated, you know, painful bouts? And then also to say to that newbie who's desperately scared about n missing a run, does this mean I'm not going to get to my 10K? You've got to be able to say, um, it's a good thing we've picked this up because it shows us imbalance. You know, why do we get repetitive strain? Usually because we've just got an imbalance. So if we can work out where our load is disproportionate, then we're going to be better able to find out it hasn't happened because of something random. There will be a, a chain event, and, and, and then we can track that. Mm. So, so I think the more information that they start to, and that's part of their body identification thing. I notice it's like this. Well, that's part of them starting to look in and feel it. But it's it's also how you mentally frame it, right? So like now as this individual comes through, they've picked up this niggle, now they realize they've got this imbalance. Now you need to, as a therapist, frame it on on the behalf of 
it's actually a positive thing that you've picked this up. Like you're improving. And if you put as much energy as you put into your training, into the rehabilitation of this thing, it's going to be something of the past very quickly and it's going to improve you as a runner. Nine times out of 10, there are at least three self-help tools that that patient leaves with. At the first appointment, you're going to do this about your injury because there's this idea that we seek help. We go to an individual and we say, this person can fix me because we've heard that this magic physiotherapist, whatever, massage, chiro, they, they've got the answer. And that passive approach of I'm going to get fixed by that person is probably the first faulty paradigm. <laughs> so I mean, I couldn't agree more. So if you could get that patient to own their own pain, this is my pain, this is when I feel it, and then you give them three self-help tools, they must leave doing something that they know remedies that monster. Mm. Yes. I feel like you two are speaking very nicely to each other because you understand the the business. The dynamics. The, the, dy- the dyma- dynamics. But like here is your uh, target market sitting right here. T- tell so. us from your injury perspective, what are, what are you picking up here, Davey? Oh, I've got so much to tell you about. I've got this um, this lovely pain underneath <laughs> my left um, metatorsal, I believe it is. Is that, is that right? Metatarsal. It's a tarsal. Metatarsal. Tarsal is also good. yeah. <laughs> that uh, I had like three years ago. That's just suddenly overnight reappeared. It's being a bitch. It won't go away. It's so sore. My calves hurt me. My hip hurts sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. But I'm the type of person that that like I've been I've noticed this metatarsal like eight times now or ten times even and sometimes it is cucksaw. but like I'm persistent to just run through it because I don't want to now go and see someone who's like maybe maybe going to like maybe help. maybe make you do something about it. But what, okay, no, <laughs> make Leah stop it, <laughs> make me do something about it. Yeah, but like. I just, I just feel like, and I know I'm in the wrong. Like, I know I'm not, uh, um, like, a good student. You are the regular runner. I'm the regular runner. <laughs> we like call I it compliance, Davey, and you just seem to lack that. Because I if do. you were compliant yes. and you were true to what your body's telling you, you would say, well, that just requires my attention, not panic. So remember, two, two men. <laughs> I'm not panicking. Hurt is not harm. So as long as we've identified it, then we're just curious about it. And if you make a patient curious about what their bodies are doing, they are already starting that, that discovery of, oh, I, I recognize that that and that. I get that wicked tarsal thing on the days when we seem to do gradient or we, we do speed. You, you just need to start being aware of it. And I say the self-help tools because I think sometimes – we believe that the fix lies in someone who's going to do it for us. And so often, that's an unhelpful um, remedy to give that patient because then they feel if they don't have that person, are they going to hurdle the next injury? And mm. let's face it, when you're on the road, you will get injured. Mm. At some point, you're going to hurt. So I think fundamentally, they need to understand that. But there are tiny things that we would take if you've been a runner for a little while. You probably do things almost without realizing they are part of your ritual or your self-management. A newbie's not doing those simple things. So you give them, you, you empower that patient by saying, have you tried a bit of foam rolling? Have you done this? Have you tried these shoes when you're in your normal work context? So you tweak a couple of the things and now you've built up a little bit of uh, confidence because they say, hey, I actually don't have to mm. feel completely thwarted or like my, my run's not going to happen this weekend. I'm going to go and do my job. So I have a, it's like an exchange program, right? I'm going to, we're going to collaborate here. This is your injury, your injury. 
and this is what I can do to <laughs> Not help. Not my injury, your injury. Your injury. This is what you're going to do. This is the work I'm going to do. And then we, we're going to come back and, and then with their diary, they just make notes about what changed or what didn't. And it's very interesting because then they feel less panicky the next time something happens because they knew they were part of the fix for the first time and then they can be part of the solution going forward. So what's your biggest, what do you think your biggest hes- hesitation is that you get from new um, athletes coming to you about like trying to, you know, go go long term? Because obviously like I believe like a lot of runners want like quick fix. Yeah. Like, I mean, we like put some ice on it or take a pill or spray something or use a gel. Like we want like, we want easy fixes, right? And then obviously doing bio work and physio work is, you know, like I know, you're not going to go for one session and you're going to walk out and boom, it's fixed. Like it's a, it's a journey, right? And that's, of, that's a lot of the times what puts people off is because A, maybe financially they, they can't, you know, go the route of going three months to somebody you know, twice a week or, or whatever. Um, but what what would you say your, you know, what do you see is the thing that keeps people away from getting the correct treatment? Do you think that carbon fiber shoes can make a difference in your running speed? You should try Cool Ideas Fiber Internet Solutions for your home or business. They're fast, effective, and take the podium for the best customer service in the game. So barriers to compliance, first of all, if you just take human nature, There is a continuum that exists where they say we have resistance to change and all of us sit on the same continuum. So we will contemplate that one stretch we're supposed to do or that one bad habit we're supposed to kick. We will sit in contemplative phase for up to 70% of our time. There is a tiny window where readiness for change hits and that's where they're ripe for the picking. And if you pitch that intervention in that time frame, you will get a compliant patient who implements what you've told them to do. Funny enough, we lapse from that, we go straight back into contemplative. So <laughs> compliance is a human failing. Okay? Generally, people are non-compliant. Only when they start to see the, the value in when I do that, I notice that that's the result. Only then are we convinced. It's a bit like seeing is believing, which is why you have to give them that little bit of that self-help tool to say, try this. It's a bit like a sales pitch. Yeah. I tell you what, you do this three times this week, And you tell me if you notice a difference. You might not. If you do, you need to note it. And then they almost, by default, go, I did actually notice a change. So the biggest barrier will be cost. Take COVID, Davey. We had no access to care. We couldn't visit practitioners. We couldn't do any kind of passive treatment. So we relied on all of our self-help go-tos. We all did foam rolling. We all skipped on our decks. And we, we had to do things which kept us going outside of our normal gym environment or our, our, our doctor, doctor's yeah. room. No, no. I, think, I think cost factor is a huge one. And also, if I go and diagnose this thing, is that person going to tell me I can't train? Mm-hmm. I don't want yeah. to go. Yeah, yeah. Are they going to stop me doing my run on Sunday? And if I've now been diagnosed with ITB, is that going to now mean that I, I, I can't carry on? So in naming it, do they I They don't want to face the truth. Yeah. It's a little bit of that. So there's a fear avoidance strategy which you have to overcome and unpack what it is because they've come to you with this problem and they want to give you the problem and they'd like that to be fixed. And if you take that problem and you leave it on the table and you all unpack it and you see what's there, you make sure that you they leave with that same thing, but you've unpacked it for them so they know a little bit more about what's in there. Mm. Um, I think it's also just jumping in there. It's understanding that 
yes, cost might be a barrier to entry, but there are ways of doing it in a cost-effective manner if you are just diligent with your training. I mean, there, there are many times where, you know, there's no there's no need to go and, and see a biokineticist three times a week if you are going to be putting yourself through the exercises and, and knowing that you're doing the exercises correctly. I think yeah. the biggest problem comes in is, you know, you you are the best at this, Davey. Sorry to rat you out, but when you have an injury, it's all hands on the <laughs> pump. I need to sort this injury out. I'll do anything you tell me to do. I'll do it right now. I'll do it two times a day for the next 14 days. You're not ratting me out. I own it's, that. That's everybody. I'm proud that, of that. You see that commonly. And, and what's caused that? It's the injury is worse or it's bad enough to warrant that time uh, and sort of into it. But what starts to happen is as that injury starts to get better, now you start to see that paradigm shift again where yeah. you know, that individual starts skipping out on the training or starts skipping out on a little bit of... because And I find that that is the trickiest part of any rehabilitation. It's when you are starting... The rehab yeah, is actually starting better. to take... It's work. It's actually working. You're feeling better. You're not healed. The problem isn't just disappeared. The issue that's underlying to the root of the problem is still present, but you've managed the symptoms. Now you feel better. Now you start being less compliant and you you very swiftly pick up your mileage again and land up right back where you were in a couple of months. And I feel like from, from my side, that becomes quite frustrating to see it happen because it happens so often. And it, it's just about learning. Like you say, when you first pick up those issues, learning how does your body respond and figuring out this is what I need to do. And it doesn't mean that now you have to do two times a day, but you just you do have to keep on managing it thereafter. It's not just gone in the distance and now you're never going to suffer from that RTB syndrome again, you know. So if you just learn from the experience firsthand and you figure out what exercises you need to do, what management things you need to do, what your body agrees with. If your body doesn't agree with speed work, you don't have to do speed work. There are other ways to get around to your training. But it's your own journey, you know, you have to own that. And there are individuals around that you can learn from, just that's that's where you would reach out. But it's not something that has to be a barrier to entry to the point where I can't see a bio three times a week, so I'm just not going to do it. There, there are ways around it. You can just empower yourself and learn about yourself and make better decisions, I think. And the threat value here for me is is interesting. If I say that they have this injury, what does that mean? So, so they want you to, to give them a forecast. Can I run in two weeks' time? They, they want this crystal ball and a prediction. Will I be okay? Will I be able to run? <laughs> so so I, think, I think it's important that we take away the fear element because we don't, we don't learn when we're fearful and we certainly don't train well. And I think there's some helpful advice here, even for a newbie, if you took... 10 different runners or 10 different clients that you see, you wouldn't find a similar somatotype or body form in any one of those. And I think knowing your body is as important as knowing, okay, I've got things which are going to uh, hinder or help me as a runner. So if you're a swayback or if you have unusual feet, it's actually saying, okay, this is what I got and making the most of what I got. So if it is that you have interesting hips, strange feet it's saying okay within the confines of what my somatotype my body form is what can I work with and then not only are we needing to motivate them about fixing something so that they stay on the road how about we move into that optimizing phase of saying Mm -hmm. how about 
you just take something and make it better even if it's not sore. And and to that I say the strength training that we've all punted and said if you were doing something just for functional benefit, there would be a prevention strategy rather than just trying to put out the fires. Well, I think it's a lifestyle, like you say. You know, you can only introduce them to that lifestyle, but then it's up to that individual runner to really take that lifestyle on and understand the overhanging importance of it. And you know, it's there's no there's no. S- scientific number magic number that you need to attain on a week-to-week basis to say okay i've done it this week it's the runner that's doing one session of management a week is going to be better off than a runner that's doing no sessions of management a week it's as simple as that you know so if you do only get 10 minutes at night time before going to bed and your family's watching tv you can sit on that roller that's that's a ideal prime time to to get on top of it but don't wait for the niggle to be there don't wait for the issue to be there for now for you to do something about it prevention is is far more important than than trying to sort and treat a problem after it is inflamed up and become an issue you know so i think that's very important to understand and the second part of that is what what you said davy is the fear avoidance of not wanting to to miss out on training because you feel like that therapist is going to pull you away from your training for two weeks or for three weeks or whatever it is but as as a runner we need to understand that improvements come over a period of time it is you know and successful training blocks so say now you're training for a 10k you're then training for a 21k if you can successfully train for those three months with no issues that's a successful block you then train for a marathon another three months successful block it's it's about layering those foundations one on top of the other now if you miss a run or if you miss a run you know, missing a run doesn't make a difference to the week of your training. If you wake up that morning and your body is saying no, you got to listen to the body. You know, missing a week of training doesn't make a difference to your block of training. But missing a block of training, that's when you start to to drop back. So I think it's understanding just that your body takes time to get to a specific level of conditioning. And yes, it, it's not ideal to feel like you're taking a backward step. But I always say sometimes you need to take a backward step to jump forward and that's i think just reframing it in a positive mindset that's what sports injuries are all about and i i think there's pressure on on newbies we have interesting tech that accompanies running now so there's strava measure meter and add and calculate and clock (laughs) every mile and every step so that idea that everything is quantified is helpful harmful for me because i think we we look for that recognition so did we and if you don't want to miss the run because you you don't want to miss seeing your friends that's a great reason to show up but to to feel pressure because i might not get my strava accolade or i might not get that running log ticked we have to put that tick aside because those those are just they're so general those tools Mm. they're they're a motivator but i think they're clumsy and i think they trip a newbie up because they dare not not get their green tick or their... No, it's so like making the graph look nice and pretty and make sure that you it's it's progressing nice. And the same thing with Garmin as well. I mean, you see that in your training predictors, like with Product- you maintaining productive, productive. unproductive that, training. That bloody swear word, <laughs> productive. And that becomes a label. And unfortunately, we're very I'm swayed. Compare and die. So if your Strava is just your Strava, then maybe that is incentivizing. But the, the problem with a, a running group and new newbies all together, there's this comparison. 
and and that's not helpful because the person who just ran a fabulous 10k didn't necessarily have the night's sleep that you had or so the minute that we start to look outside of our own road and our mm. own body now, now we now we're gonna probably trip up but also what we what we need to realize is that you know that 10k pb or that marathon pb that is that is a complete outlier in everything that we do in our day-to-day life and in day-to-day training i mean that is your personal best session that you have personal. done in your That's, life yeah. in your life you could that is the fastest you have covered 10k's in your life now we're comparing our any other 10k that we run to that 10k you know it's it's difficult like you say, you can't compare to those things. There's different parameters going into it. There's different stresses going into it. But as individuals, we that's that's all we can compare ourselves to. And sometimes we're just not kind enough and we build that resentment. And that's where running can become really unhealthy. Yeah. And it can lead to injury because of that specific reason. We now think, oh, shit, I need to push harder. I need to train harder. I need to do this. I need to do this. And all of a sudden now you're increasing your volume. You're increasing your quality training. You're increasing way too many things. And then uh, before you know it. 100%. Uh, my, my wheels fell off the bus this um, this weekend especially because my, my training has been has been pretty poor ever since comrades. Like I've had quite a long recovery time. Um, there's been a lot of niggles that I've been experiencing. I haven't done anything about them because you know the year is like done. So I've just been like going from like like week to week, kind of like not progressing and wondering why I'm not progressing. And anyways, on Friday we were meant to do 30k's for a friend's 30th birthday, and I could only do I could only do the 20. And at the 20, I was gassed. Like yeah, we pushed ourselves from like what we we've been doing in the last couple of months. Like I was definitely out of my comfort zone in terms of the pace, but. I got home and I was just, I was so angry because I was like, why can't I run the 30K? It's like, and then you're comparing yourself to, I'm saying, yeah, but they did it, like they were comfortable, but did they run comrades? Did they experience the comrades that I had that my body went through? Um, and then it's just like, there's a lot of like self-doubt that goes through my mind even, because now I'm like, am, am I going backwards? Am I as good as a runner as I was, you know, last year? Like, why am I not seeing improvements? Because so often when you're getting into running and you're going from improvement to improvement to improvement and eventually you're going to hit that, that cap, ceiling, that, that yeah. ceiling and, and, it's, and it gets harder to improve. Um, and then you find yourself, you know, looking around, looking at every, you, I in specific just compare myself to anybody that's having a better run and I'm going, but they're having a better run. How come I'm not having a better run? So it can get quite um, toxic. It can get very toxic. And you talk about the watches. I mean, the bloody VO2 max function <laughs> on a watch. What does it mean? I don't know. But if it's not going up, I'm like, why? You know, these these things, I promise you, ask Nick, I was in such a toxic place. I think like at the beginning of the year when I had that wa- this one watch that was like on like a 72 VO max. I don't know how it got there, but it was ridiculous. And it, it could not for the life of me go one down. If it was going down, I was, you know, getting worse. I wasn't progressing. David, your challenge is now to do the next few runs without your watch. Scary as that might sound. Never. <laughs> David, I'm interested in you were saying that the guy turned 30, so we decided to run 30Ks. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a good reason just to pick a number. <laughs> yes. So so we usually build up to yeah. a 21 or a 30. So if you took any training block and there was going to be 30 at the end of it or somewhere in the middle of it, you would have probably had a few steps in the preparation. So if you've been running 20 and suddenly you decide because it's just his 30th birthday, 30 sounds 
like a good number to do. Maybe your expectation of what your legs could do. <laughs> no, for sure. So, so, so what I'm saying is, that, but isn't that a rookie error? Yeah. It's, it's 10Ks because it's, there's yeah. 10 of us or whatever it is. Yeah. And again, the, the, the group has gives us momentum. The group gives us the chias and, and, and a reason to be out there. We have to be just mindful of those potential pitfalls because we do get carried by the, the wave, the crowd. Uh, as long as you can be true to self and in that say, I'm good at 25, I think I, I'm going to stop here. It's when we dull out those cues and we just for the sake of the 30th birthday, run that 30 and then go... No, listen, I, 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 knew, I knew my body well enough to, to make a call, you know, long before. I, I just could feel it, it wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. But, but it was how I felt about it afterwards that I, that I, couldn't, that I couldn't do it. You know, I was, I was angry because, you know, you run comrades, you, you, just, you get so used to achievements and then to not achieve something is like... But it also on top of that, with, with the watch situation, you know, you get used to a pace feeling like this type of effort level. Yeah. Now you look down and all of a sudden this effort level is actually not what the pace is, should be here. Now you start overthinking it and panicking. And that's why I like Judy's comment of, you know, run without a watch, go and yeah. see what it feels like, go for an easy run. Don't care about the actual stats of it. I feel like that is, that is some solid advice for you, specifically coming from a background where you're finding yourself a little bit lost in the training right now. You have the you have these goals coming up next year, but you, you really are struggling to to restart, restart from, from a nice, fresh ground, you know. And I think that without the watch is potentially a nice I little pointer. <laughs> I personally, I think the watch thing for me is like, I don't, it's not really uh, that important at, at the moment. Like, says the guy that won't run any runs slower than five minutes a K because of Strava. No, that's so not true. Davey, that's not Nick, true though. If you were my generation, because I'm a little older than the <laughs> both of you, but we never had tech like this. So if I think of my marathon running as a much younger adult, we didn't have, certainly we didn't have Strava. We didn't have apps which tracked our mileage, told us our heartbeat, told us how we'd slept. We certainly didn't have that on-hand information. So invariably we were, we were informivores, right? We just want more information, certainly your generation. So the more you tell me about how I'm feeling, then, then I should be feeling that instead of going in and going, what is my body telling me? So if we're going to teach body cueing, then we have to silence and dull out what the tech is telling us and say, well, I actually can feel my heart in my chest, gravity. I can, uh, I'm, I'm aware of a, a much heavier breath. I, I can feel, I, I just feel different. You've got to start to feel those things and then, and then, and then trust it. There are going to be lots of newbies who leave uh, a December behind having had festivities and fun and then January is going to be kickstart, kickstart January. <laughs> and a little bit sort of, you know, of a, I think a, an overzealous start is going to catch people unawares. They're coming off the back of a more lazy December. And so I, I think even more to just uh, moderate the, the rush. Okay, You will slowly get back on that little treadmill. Uh, so I think January has to be a very steady month. It doesn't have to be go big or go home. Yeah. And eating is not cheating. It's part of life. So I think if we can approach January like we do the beginning of a program is, is that you go moderately. Anything that we start, we have to be able to keep up. So so start as you intend to finish, and that's with a moderate beginning. 
And I mean, for for people looking at that in particular, you know, starting out the year nice and strong, what would be sort of some tips to getting, setting up some sustainable goals, some suitable goals for you as an individual, and then how to go about achieving them? So if January was going to be the start, if we took just the temporal side of things, we took a time frame, I think the body works well in three-month blocks or cycles. So if you took that rule of, a 12-week training time you to train for about 11 weeks and then the body rests for that 12th week. I think give yourself a three-month goalpost rather than a month. And I think what's important is during a festive season, we eat differently and we sleep differently. And those are the two main things which I think nail most of the athletes is that they don't factor in what their input and their sleep has been. So we will have later nights, we will probably have richer foods, And so in starting a new run routine, one has to be quite strict about getting back into a sleep and a food routine that is more in keeping with what your training block will look like. So if you can be strict around sleep and eat and get those two parameters a little bit more balanced and back to what you would normally do, that would be part of starting your your, your January to March goal. Yeah. I mean, off of that, just before we we wrap up for today, I mean, for you in terms of advice, ways of getting into a good routine, what would be sort of some tips in in how to get into a a good routine as an individual? For sleep, eating, or for running? Yeah, for running, for all those parameters. So uh, I say to my athletes, apply an 80-20 rule. Okay, so you, you, you're going to start your first week of January and you're going to hope to have had good sleep, good meals and, and a, perhaps three, three training attempts that week. If you've given yourself a, a week forecast, try to get it 80% optimal. And again, uh, I go back to the diary. We, we kind of can be accountable to a watch or to a training partner, but it's quite nice to be accountable. So in setting a goal for that three-month time, you want to write down, what was my first week of January like? What did I do? And it doesn't have to be detailed. I, I make it sound like it's quite a laborious journal taking, you know, or note taking. It's not. I think if you gave yourself columns and you said, eat, sleep, train. Yeah. Have you got a tick in all of those columns? And then at the end of the week, did I manage 80% of that pretty well? Is, is a good way to do it. My, my last question was going to be, in terms of, what, what would you say is the most important? I want to choose one because I, <laughs> I just want to hear your opinion. It's like, what's the most like important exercise <laughs> overall? <laughs> As a runner, that a, that a runner can do is it is get it, on your foam roller, Davy. Foam roller to make you stronger, though, not for not for rehab. Sure. So if I had to now choose between, shall I spend mm, squats, um, lunges, core? What would you say the most important one is? We got to get squatting. Squatting, okay. Yeah, I'm going to start squatting, that, guys. I'll tell you I'm that's not what Davey wanted to hear. I wanted to hear core. So, so you want to be doing something that that has eccentric value. Yes. So you want to be doing something that's using more than one big global muscle group. Okay, so your squat's going to kill three pigeons, one bullet. You're getting eccentric. You're getting all your well, main Nick, anti. Nick doesn't make me squat, so. Baby and, doesn't and, come and to gym. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, there it is. <laughs> okay, so squats. So and and by squats, I qualify those because some people are doing very very deep into the whole squat. Some people are doing split squats. So I'm going to just use a very broad category. So, so for our so listeners, 
Squat. That's that's the, the That's the, the motto for twenty twenty three. Squat. Squat. Squat till you drop. <laughs> and then you gotta come back up. Then you gotta come back up, yeah. <laughs> and and quickly, core. How important is core for a runner? Paramount. Paramount. Okay. So I've been doing no core. <laughs> and it's suddenly dawned on me. Okay, so you, you've got these you, you just have to stay upright, Davy. So you better be doing something to that inner unit to to give you the, the the integrity of that that unit that's going to keep your vertebral column. Yes, okay. And <laughs> and your most effective core exercise? Uh, Say planking. Actually, that's not a bad one. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay. No, our, our producer Leah told breathe me Breathe and plank. <laughs> breathe and plank. Breathe and plank squat, and squat. Breathe and plank. There it is. And you'll be fine. <laughs> and you'll be fine. You'll fly through the year. You'll fly through. You're going to be training roll. just like Davy. <laughs> Yeah, guys, listen to me. Like okay. the foam roller is your friend. It's this really yeah. not your foe. Yeah, You've has, got to embrace it. It's that. He has Dave's advice. <laughs> foam roll, <laughs> ice, <laughs> squat, plank, and breathe. You've got to start with the breathing, Dave. Breathe. Sorry, breathe. <laughs> breathe first. Guys, Dave, he's only going to do that once he picks up a calf niggle. You do understand that. No, it's a new year, new me. Yeah, I right. Every single day. I, I year, planked for three minutes this morning. One by one by one. Don't and get excited. And guys. did you breathe while you were planking? No, I hold my breath the entire <laughs> time. <laughs> and there in your planking, did Julie? I think we're going to have to have you have you back on just to explain <laughs> exercise therapy to Davy and make him. Uh, he's going to have a whole bunch of questions. No, Davy's going to ask for that run magazine in his Christmas stocking because yeah. there's a really nice at the back. Yeah. A really fit-looking gentleman has about ten positions that he's photographed in. Ten positions. Functional loading. Functional loading. Go and do those 10. Yes. You know, maybe make it part of your advent calendar. Like yes. you open up a chockey every too day. Late. And part of your advent calendar is what functional loading am I doing today? Yeah. New year, there new you me. Have it. See, a functional, a functional loading advent calendar you, to earn that chockey. The making the a runner, the making a runner functional advent. Brought to you by Davey on <laughs> the run. <laughs> And your cheat, your cheat sheet is just the back of that run magazine. Yes, I love it. Because that sexy chap's doing all the the poses. You must well, just have a. I'll look be at the that. sexy chap. <laughs> <laughs> we can make that happen. Judy, thank you so much for being on on the show today. We truly appreciate your insights thank and knowledge. You, Nick. And I'm sure we'll have thank you back you. on in future to 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 chat, Davy, off of a ledge. Thank you, <laughs> thank you for the top tips. Yeah, I'm going to need to be talked down a few times next year. We've got some really big goals, so. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you Davey. Thank you, Nick.